I want to acknowledge the presence of a couple of four-legged members of the Sangha. Uh, Rebecca has a fine black cat and Malia has a lovely long-nosed dog there someplace. So welcome to them as well. There, there he is. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I'm still a little under the weather this evening. Uh, last week I had a, uh, uh, a medical uh, procedure involving uh, some um, prolonged uh, fasting and violent purging, which as I expected, uh, triggered a migraine but this one lasted like three days and left me pretty wrung out and I have not quite entirely recovered. So uh, please excuse me if my voice is not very loud and if, if I don't talk too long tonight. Uh, it was a, a pleasure sitting with you guys. It's been a long time since I was physically present in the lovely Valley Streams Zendo. Uh, but this is quite a bit better than nothing. It's, it's good to see all of you. Um, uh, recently, I, I uh, was thinking that um, In, in our practice, and especially our sitting practice, uh, we need to uh, we need to understand what it means to suspend both disbelief and belief, which is maybe a little bit different. Uh, than uh, some other traditions where disbelief is shunned and belief is uh, all important. But both of those um, uh, kind of mental postures are... Uh, kind of part of the baggage that we don't need to keep with us. And it can be quite uh, freeing to allow ourselves to sit, to compose the body-mind, and to let both belief and disbelief simply drain away. Uh, and of course, people might wonder, well, wait, aren't we supposed to, uh, you know, uh, treasure Buddhist teaching and, and so forth? And I would say, well, yes. Uh, and in fact, the way we treasure Buddhist teaching is to let it go.
That doesn't mean we can't or shouldn't uh, revisit his teaching uh, as it comes up in our in our life and, and during during our day and so forth. But especially when we sit, the invitation is to even let Buddha's teaching go. And in so doing, um, we, we can actually watch the teaching be verified in our experience. Our uh, practice uh, supports our own participation in Buddha's radical insight into the nature of reality. And um, maybe especially if we're relatively new to practice, we might think that this requires some subtle or clever modification of our natural body-mind. In other words, we're supposed to see something that we're not already seeing. But in, in spite of the various stories that we might have encountered. That's not what Buddha did. Buddha did not figure out how to uh, uh, perceive something he was not already perceiving. Now we can make a certain amount of space if we like for states of mind such as uh, noticing previous births. And uh, maybe noticing the uh, karmic paths of all beings. Uh, that sort of thing is uh, held to be part of the equipment of the completely enlightened Buddhas. But we don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah. We can allow our attention to completely fill our body-mind and observe what is arising and what is passing away without the additional burden of belief or disbelief. Okay, do you follow? 
And this um, uh, practice uh, quite, uh, I would say, quite naturally uh, encourages our own capacity for insight into what's happening right now. And in so doing, we, um, we come to recognize what more and more looks to me like uh, our common human inheritance. So nothing that on, only the Buddhists get to enjoy, nothing like that. Uh, it kind of seems like as far back as we can extend our understanding of our, our human society, our human presence, on this earth, uh, humanity has been privileged to enjoy uh, an insight which over and over again people come to express in very, very similar ways. Today I was uh, uh, hearing about um, uh, some um, uh, some alchemists, and not not of the medieval variety, but of the uh, the classical or Hellenistic era. So many centuries ago, one of them. Actually, two of them were very, very celebrated women. I don't know if this is commonly understood, but they were, uh, there were probably maybe four or five very, very famous women alchemists, which I was not familiar with. Uh, one was, um, and this is maybe, uh, we're talking maybe the third century or something. Thereabouts, third, fourth century of the common era. One was known as uh, Maria Hebrea, which simply means Maria, the Jewish lady. And uh, maybe some of you know, uh, to her, we owe the, um, the cooking technique known as the Bain-Marie, have you heard of that? Uh, it's where you you take um, like a bowl of something and put it in hot water. Some, maybe it's uh, similar. Maybe it's the same thing as a double boiler. So you don't you don't want to put something directly on the heat. So you use the heat of the water. And some of you cooks may have heard of the bain marie, and that comes from her centuries centuries ago. Maria Hebrea. 
And about the same time, there was another uh, alchemist, quite celebrated woman who was simply known as Cleopatra, and not to be confused with Mark Antony's friend, who was a few centuries before. But Cleopatra the alchemist, sort of the Greco-Egyptian tradition of alchemy. And uh, she, was, she was highly esteemed by others in her circle, uh, so much so that uh, some of, some of her, her uh, followers or students, it was said, just listening to her would kind of go into a trance and, and be awarded with these remarkable insights. And it was said that uh, some of them, uh, uh, I've actually, uh, I, I don't quite remember now, when Jesus was teaching in the temple, some of his audience said something like, yeah, he, he's, his speech is like a miracle. And uh, some of the followers of Cleopatra the alchemist said the same thing of her. And these insights uh, all seem to tend towards a vision of reality where all things are one. where all things are one thing and where each one thing is all things. This could, you know, this is like right out of the Avatamsaka Sutra. And yet coming from a different point of view And then moving a little bit later, uh, maybe the 13th century or so, the um, early, uh, the medieval uh, Kabbalists, the students of the Kabbalah, uh, they too uh, expressed this insight into a vast and ungraspable oneness of all things from which everything proceeds and to which everything returns. And it is simply, it is remarkable how this begins to look like the common inheritance of all humankind, this sort of insight. And how in our own practice, the uh, the conventional nature of what we assume to be the walls around each of our individual existences becomes 
apparent. And our sense of life penetrating beyond all walls is uh, verified for us over and over again. Beyond belief, beyond disbelief. I just think this is a remarkable aspect of humankind that doesn't get enough press, if you ask me. And next thing you know, everybody gets hung up about, no, those guys are wrong and we're right. And then some other bunches, no, no, you're wrong and we're right over here. Next thing you know, everybody's arguing. And belief and disbelief lead to bloodshed. So to let ourselves shed belief and disbelief in our practice of upright sitting is uh, a great gift we give ourselves and one another. I, uh, I can't think of a, a practical way to uh, include Maria Hebrea and Cleopatra the alchemist in our lineage chant, but maybe in the back of our minds, we can keep those marvelous people as people with whom we could have a, a lovely cup of tea and understand each other. So next time you're, you're cooking and the recipe calls for a bain-marie, remember where it comes from. The remarkable alchemist lady from long ago. It's, it is fascinating how and practically, depending how you look at it, almost all spiritual traditions um, invite and encourage the arising of the divine feminine quite remarkable. I, I've uh, spent some time in some uh, Western uh, monastic communities. 
and uh, during the offices of recitation of the Psalms in the chapel, uh, the Abbey Church, I've been struck over and over again how the chanting is so soft and feminine. And the voices tend to be somewhat high register. Not at all like masculine beer hall songs. <laughs> How the, the balancing feminine energy is encouraged and allowed to arise. And this ex expresses itself as a softening of brittle masculine energies and how threatening that can be sometimes. We, we think with sorrow of the, the lynching of the great pagan philosopher woman, Hypatia, back in the era of late antiquity, murdered by a Christian mob of men You know, who couldn't stand her erudition and her insight. You know, it's so important for the balance of the sacred feminine to express itself in our practice. And it does quite naturally. Look at me, I'm wearing a dress. What I'm speaking of is, is, in a sense, is just another framing of our great ancestor Dogen's expression of, of practice and verification as one dynamism. And to sit and allow belief and disbelief to drift away is a demonstration of that. Each demonstration is a verification. That is why each moment of practice is a moment of verification. It's quite remarkable, really. Uh, maybe uh, you'd like to have some discussion instead of uh, listening to me blather on. or ask a question or I see some activity in the Zendo. 
I I would like to uh, sort of ask a question. It's yeah. Oscar. You are. Hi, who Neil. is that? Who is that masked it's man? It's Oscar. Oh, hi, Oscar. Hi. Hi. Here I am. So, um, when you were speaking, it made me think of I, I believe is our second Japanese ancestor, Ajo. Um, the the um, absorption in the treasury of light, um, and I think you and he are speaking about much the same thing. He he speaks in I, I certainly can't remember. I can't quote quote the can't quote. But he says, don't stick to one thing, don't stick to any technique, don't carry around what you learn in sitting. Mm -hmm. um, and then you are as a dead person uh, without, I'll say, believing or disbelieving. But there's still breathing, there's still the essence of hearing and the essence of seeing and the immediate response is possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm struck by by the phrases, the essence of hearing and the essence of seeing. And I wonder if you could dilate a little bit on, on, on your thoughts, on if you could discuss that a little bit. Thank you very much. Well, um, well I would say that he uh, sums all that up in his invitation to us to throw body and mind into the treasury of light. That's like the essence of that uh, fascinating document of his. And uh, that means simply to uh, appreciate that hearing as hearing, that's the essence. Seeing as seeing, that's the essence. And uh, establishing the body-mind in that way is entering the treasury of light. So even though that expression might uh, tempt us to uh, like look around for, well, wait, wait, where's the treasury of light? How do I get there? And he would counsel us, no, no, that's not what I mean. To throw the body and mind into the treasury of light happens here and now, in this instant. You don't go somewhere and look for it. That is actually where we sit. So his is an invitation to appreciate that without, you know, any extra decoration.
it's so radical. Quite. <laughs> Isn't there anything to hold on to? <laughs> well, no. Thank you very much. I have a, a, well, I don't know if it's a question, but it's something that was stimulated by your talk. Uh, you're talking about the little-known contributions of uh, the female alchemists and uh, anyway, and you you you, you referenced. Um, what I felt like was, you know, the, the oh, like fear of the feminine, or you know, just the underappreciation of the of the feminine um, gestalt, if you will. I don't know. Um, it made me think. It made me think of the, the the modern day what I would call transgender movement, yeah. which is it seems to me both a movement uh, of liberation but also it's a philosophical movement i think uh i see it as a as a as a kind of philosophical movement of people saying uh uh why do we have to you know identify uh just on one side, you know. Why do Why do we have to do that? I don't, you know. Not people, not exactly, you know, not willing to sort of, you know. Again, another radical. Mm. It's another radical thing. Not 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 willing to accept the the dichotomy of male and female, mm. and claim, but rather claim, um, you know. Another, another perspective. Yeah, it's a uh, you know a challenge and a critique to our you know habitual gender thinking, and as such makes a lot of people uncomfortable uh, to the point where sometimes violence seems to be you know sparked. Which shows how frightening shows how it is frightening to some, is to some folks. folks. I can understand that fear because um, gender is, because when we let go of everything, we let go of our self identity. We become, like AJ says, a dead person. And, and gender is so inculcated so much as fundamental part of our identity. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, if you take that away, if you say, well, why do I have to, I want to be free from label, from your labels, from somebody's labels, mm -hmm. uh, then, then, um, then what else would you let go? Mm -hmm. Would you have to let go that, that defines you? And uh, and I can I can relate to that fear of letting everything go. Um, 
and, yeah, and, and of even, trusting completely. Even if we let everything go, there's still something there, moment after moment after moment. The essence of reality. If you like. If you like. To, put a, to, to put words, hang words on it. If I might just add a brief editorial note that uh, we welcome any comments from remote people, but to make it easier for the video operator to see and, and recognize you, uh, it would be helpful to use your yellow raised hands. Thank you. Ahead, Linda. Thank you. Just, I just wanted to say, when we let go, we have everything. That's all I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Not losing anything. When you let go, you have access to everything. Well, you don't know that until after you've let go. I think we can learn to let go in little ways as as we grow up. Um, And the more that's encouraged in children, the better people will wind up with. (laughs) It's possible to... uh, encounter social situations where there's tremendous investment in confining roles for uh, categories of people, be it you know, gender and, and other such confining roles. And um, when that is threatened, sometimes the response is violent. This is scary. I'm sitting in something called spotlight video and there's there's too much of me and I can't escape. So I guess it's all right. <laughs> Maybe I can find a button here. Let's see. Uh, no. No. No, there's no escape. Sorry. Oh, well. Uh, Todd has a question. Okay. I can't see you anymore, Todd. (laughs) It's better that way. Trust me. So in the, uh, first of all, thank you, Yosan, very much. I uh, struggled to find something to say because what you said was so perfect that I couldn't come up with a question, but I did want to make one note. Um, of affirmation of what you were saying about the divine feminine. Um, back in the 90s, when I, I think when I first started practicing, I was also involved in sort of, you know, interested in the men's movement that Robert Bly had started. Uh, it was very not, today it's perceived as being anti-feminist, but in fact, it was not at all anti-feminist. Um, but nonetheless, I was 
um, being at Zen Center and living at City Center, which is very feminine in its um, um, I don't know. Uh, maybe Abbas was was uh, female at the time. I, I felt a sort of a resistance to that. And then, uh, interestingly, when I had probably what was well, what was definitely my most profound moment of insight in the Buddha Hall one morning. Whenever I think back on that moment this in the back of my mind there's this voice a feminine uh, almost uh, musical uh, choir very feminine very clearly feminine you know I think of it as uh, Prajna Paramita you know so um, it seems like an affirmation of what you were talking about What I want to say, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, the mita, the the perfect wisdom is is one um, marvelous manifestation of the feminine that we have, and also the uh, vast the legions of uh, dakinis and the female tutelary spirits which are prominent in, in Vajrayana Buddhism. It's another view of that, that same immense energy, balancing energy. Yeah. Del has a question. Um, I just wanted to thank you for bringing up and telling us about these women. Um, I had only heard of Hypatia, and the only reason I had heard of that was that woman was because a friend of mine did the weaving that was underneath the plate of the Judy Chicago's dinner party. Oh, really? Hypatia was one of the women that Judy Chicago included in that massive oh, that's sculpture right. that she did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I hadn't heard of the other two. Yeah. And I just, I thought it was fascinating. So. Yeah, I, I hadn't actually heard of the other two until today. So I'm, I'm quite fascinated to know about them. And of course, they're just you know, part of the tip of the iceberg. Goodness knows how many others whose voices have been uh, lost because of the uh, overwhelming weight of the male point of view. Um, where did you find out? Where did you find um, out about the other two, just out of curiosity? Uh, there is a YouTube uh, channel called Esoterica. Ah. which uh, is uh, the, the, the special project of this uh, 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 academic guy named Justin Sledge, who's a, a phenomenal scholar. And uh, this is one of his areas of interest. And uh, he did a, a particular uh, video about um, Cleopatra and actually another one about Maria Hebrea as well. So those are both available in his on his channel if you want to look at them. Oh, that's great. Thank you.
well, if well, if that's 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 okay that's for now. Okay for now. Um, um, I I uh, think I'm going to go to bed. Oh, the mind's too much. <laughs> continue to recuperate from the rigors of last week. Thank you so much. Thank you, yes. Of course. And uh, next month, it looks like I will bite the bullet and actually visit you in person. So it will have been a long time since I did that, so that will be interesting. <laughs>